listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 193. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with author and former basketball coach Patrick Tui to talk all about coaching, creating connections, and his experience with players over the years. Tui shares various insights and strategies from his new book, Creating Forever Teammates, for building and maintaining successful relationships on and off the court. If you want to learn how to effectively teach young players integrity, selflessness, and gratitude, even when the games are all over, then this is a must-listen episode. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What if you could rapidly accelerate your team's performance and skill acquisition just minutes before practice or game? NeuroTrainer triggers high-performance states with virtual reality brain training that can be deployed in the gym or at home. In just eight minutes, your team will be more focused and ready for whatever you or the game throws at them. Visit NeuroTrainer.com to schedule your demo and get your team locked in. Welcome back to another episode of 90% Mental. I'm your host, Graham Parr. And today, we're going to talk about coaching. We're going to talk about the importance of coaching. I'm sure, we're going to be talking about the difference between transactional coaching versus transformational coaching. But my guest today, who's written a book, Create Forever Teammates, um, about coaching and the power of coaching, um, his name is Patrick Tui. And I, I am so excited to, to have you on my show today, Patrick, and to talk about your book and just your your breadth of knowledge on coaching and your experience as a coach. Yeah, it's great to be here, Grant. I'm really excited about visiting with you and your audience and, you know, talking about all of these things pertaining to, um, you know, really just building a team that's very powerful and has an edge because they've worked on some things that maybe are not so traditional, but really have a significant payoff or dividend for those teams that actually spend time on the things that we're going to be talking about today. So I love it. And I'm very passionate about it and I'm excited to talk about it. Beautiful. Well, I think, you know, I would say that any parts of any part of our lives, coaching is important. Um, I think, you know, considering what we've gone through uh, with the pandemic and there's all these other things that surround coaching with uh, specialization and social media. And, and I call it the new breed of parent so there's there's a lot of elements and variables that we have to manage um, as coaches. So we'll get into to that, your perspectives and a lot of great things that you wrote about in your book that pertain to that. But let's talk about something that I'd love to talk about as a mental performance coach, and that's mental toughness. When you think of being mentally tough, what does that mean to you? Well, a couple things. So first, what it means to me is that you have this capacity to be able to handle adversity, no matter what it looks like in a way that you, you process through it 
with an attitude of possibilities and opportunities and excitement that, you know, there's this on switch that occurs that enjoys the challenge, enjoys the adversity of it. And so maybe you're attached to a whole different type of experience when you're faced with those things. I think mental toughness is about thinking outside of yourself. I think that it takes a degree of this ability to be to be tough enough to say there's other work that needs to be done on my end to help others succeed. And as a result of that, I have to be able to put out some energy and put out some effort and dig down to a level that requires a significant amount of mental toughness to be able to go there. Some, some will not bother to do that. I think that mental toughness is about the ability to be able to adjust and change. Um, the ability to be open to growing as a player and as a person and the contributions that you're making. Uh, mental toughness to me looks like from a tangible example, when someone falls on the floor in the middle of a basketball game and he's near your teammate, you're sprinting over there and you're picking up that player and helping them off the floor. That's a sign of, to me, of somebody who's really mentally tough because again, they're thinking outside of their, their, their selves and they're rewarding somebody who's mentally tough. So anybody that gets on the floor and goes after a ball or gets a charge is somebody that has some toughness about them. So, yeah. and it and it's infectious too. It's infectious. So, and someone who is extremely coachable, just extremely a coachable player, and is is humble enough to realize that I'm not afraid to to fail. I'm not afraid to experiment, and I'm not afraid that may of anything that may occur during that experience that I can learn from. Um, and so I'm going to go after it, going to be that player that takes that risk, going to be that player that invites that challenge and, 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 and go after it in a way of possibilities of just real sense of, man, I got an opportunity to really grow today. You know what I love about, there's a lot of cool nuggets in what you were saying. And I and I, and I know because we're going to be talking about team and culture and 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 how to coach that, but it's really hard sometimes to get that we before me mentality. Um, there's a lot of me's out there and there's a lot of we's out there, but in the face of adversity, how do we get players to to not even react to respond in the moment with we in mind? And I love how you talked about adjustment. How do we train to adjust in the moment? I, I, we use the word change a lot, but adjusting to me is a little more powerful. How do we adjust? How do we train for the moment? And that's when it comes to, to mental skills training and mental performance in the mental game. Uh, to me, I sum it up as training for the moment because I don't care how good you are. Like you could be the best person in the state, in the country, in the world. But how good are you in the moment that the team needs you and that you need yourself in that moment? So training for that moment. So when you think about moments, because I know throughout your whole life, um, you have gone through a lot of not only mentally tough moments, but you've coached people through it. Can you share a specific time where you had to be mentally tough, like that one monumental moment within your career? Yeah. So there's one as a as a person, so very personal to me. And then there's also one involving, you know, some players that I coached. So I'd be willing to share either one of those, uh, Grant. Um, and so personally, if I could share that first. Yeah. 
So there was a time in my life where things weren't going real well for me. And there's some decisions and choices that I made that put me in a position where if I stayed down that path, um, I definitely would not be speaking to you today for sure. Um, right. So, however, I was also at my weakest moment. Okay. Feeling very vulnerable, feeling very afraid. If I'm going to be honest, be, feeling very unsure of myself. And I was presented an opportunity from a coach who happened to be my brother. And he was someone with so much empathy. He, he saw where I was headed and we had a talk behind the garage of our home and uh, he offered me an opportunity to come back to college. And instead of being a player, would I be willing to be a coach as an assistant? And would I be willing to allow him to work with me on some of the things I needed to change in order to change the direction of my life? And what required what was required of me in the mental toughness capacity was as scared as I was to take that offer on because I didn't want to fail again, even though I was living a life of failing, the thought of pursuing it and failing again was overwhelming. And I, I don't know exactly what caused me grant to say, Patrick, if you don't hold on to this, if you don't take this opportunity, I'm just telling you, I don't know that things are going to end up real well. And so go for it. As scary as it is, just get in your car, pack up your things and take that 15 hour drive out to the university and take your brother's offer and begin to change your life. I had anxiety all the way out there, but I was able to dig down. I was able to see that, Patrick, this is painful right now. It's scary. But the reward at the end of the day is so significant that you have to try everything you possibly can to not let this become another failure. So that's a personal story. Um, mm. um, from a player coach perspective, I was hired in a program that the year before 18 players walked out of the program. The coach was there for one year. They let go of that coach. It was a program that had kids in the program that came from very tough environments, Grant. So, you know, there was so much work to be done outside of the skill development, the X's and O's, the strategy and things of that nature. And, and I knew that when I stepped in, there were going to have to be some very difficult decisions made around who could be part of the program and who could not be part of the program. And it's the first time that I knew some of these young players were going to be confronted with someone who said, I know this is going to be painful for you because maybe some of you are only going to school because you get to play basketball, but nobody's holding you accountable for your attitudes or behaviors. This program has become kind of a babysitting service and that's not going to happen anymore. So mm. They to sit in front of a player like like that situation and tell them, you know, despite your best efforts, your attitude and behavior has not changed at all. And I'm going to have to tell you, you're dismissed from the team. Mm. And these players had never 
been confronted with that. They were like, Coach Tui, you're you're not doing. There's no way you're doing that. There's I've been playing here for three years and I've never had to change a thing. That you can't do this to me. You can't do this to me. And I said, I I know it hurts, son, and I know that it's painful right now. But I'm hoping that maybe maybe if the pain is strong enough for you, that you'll take a look at that and say. Okay, I've got to, I got to, I have to make some changes or else I've lost the opportunity. So those were hard decisions. Mm. It took a lot of mental toughness to stand my ground and say, this is goodbye. This, this is really it. This is, you're not going to be playing anymore. Yeah. And And to be the, the, the messenger of someone's dream right? Um, someone's love and passion, but <clears throat> maybe because they didn't share, you know, your vision or uh, they didn't live out that, that dream, that vision. Um, you know, again, it's, you got to get the right people on the bus. And what I, and just, when you look back at both of your stories and your examples, which are great, what I kind of picked up is the vulnerability, the vulnerability of making that hard decision when maybe you're at the, the bottom of the bucket with life, and there's a lot of you know, trepidation and anxiety for change. And also with your brother being, we'll talk about your brother in a second, um, being very established um, coach and living up to him and, and just making change that the vulnerability is that's, I always say there's victory and vulnerability. Victory goes to the, the vulnerable. And, you know, and so when you think about doing hard decisions as a coach and telling people, you know, you're trying to rework a culture and, and redo a program, you gotta, there's some hard shit you have to do. You know, there is. And, and that takes tremendous amounts of, of vulnerability and being willing to show up during the hard times. Um, so I, yeah. I applaud you for that. Yeah, thank you so much, Grant. You know, if I may real quickly, because I've done a lot of self-reflection and, and work on myself over many years, I also have a very patient and kind heart around others who might be struggling, but can we shift it and change it? Can can we, can we even just show them an inch of, it doesn't have to be this way that there is, there is the ability to, to change the direction you're in. And so what I am mainly at peace with grant in that situation was I worked with these young men the best that I could in my patience and cooperation in giving them guidance and help trying to help them shift. And so I, it's not like I made this cold hearted decision, right. uh, you know, right. At some point that player has to own who they are and what they're doing and make a decision themselves to be mentally tough to say, not only am I going to be vulnerable and admit that these are things that I'm doing that aren't really very healthy and distracting and destructive. But do I have the mental toughness to take the action, right? Because how many of us can honestly take a look at one of our shortcomings and say, yeah, that's me. I know I do that. That's somewhat the easy part. Mm-hmm. Unless you can't, unless you totally have no capacity to be honest. The hard part comes, the mental toughness part comes when, okay, now I need you to take some action. I need you to change these 
habits you've created that are destructive. I need you to change these behaviors that you've developed that are destructive. And, and I need to know that you're in an environment that built that. And I, and I have to work with that environment around understanding two steps forward, six steps back. But there comes a point when if you're not willing then it's time to say goodbye. And those are really tough decisions because I love every player I coach. And I, you know, I told these kids, I do love you, whether, whether you, I know you don't know that right now. And I know you don't feel that, but I do love you. And, yeah. and this comes from a place of love. You know, it's in, this is just my perspective because not only have I, you know, played a lot of sports in my life, uh, coached a fair amount of uh, football, um, I've, and you and I were talking about, uh, this particular high school before we were recording today, but <clears throat> I believe when you're a transformational coach, there is, and I know in sports, sometimes we don't want to use the word love. Like we, we say, we love sports. We love doing what we do in sports. We love winning, love succeeding. Like I get it. But when we say, I love you, then it's a little too, it's a little too um, intimate. It's a little too personal. And I think the transformational coaches that I have just witnessed is my perspective are the ones that can actually say it and that are an example of it and that can share it and show it. Patrick Walsh was and still is, has been the head coach for Sarah High School um, in San Mateo for 20, I don't know, 25, 26 years now. And what's really cool about what he does is every single year when he has the parent meeting before the season starts, he literally starts it off by saying, if there's anybody in this auditorium that's uncomfortable with me hugging and kissing your child mm. and me telling them that I love them on a daily basis, I don't want you here. I don't want them on my team because I'm going to love them hopefully as much as you love them. And I'm going to be taking care of them a lot throughout the day. And I want them to know that they're being loved and I'm going to teach them how to be a young man. And Man, when he said that, I was like, my first year as a coach under him, I was like, oh, this, this guy is pretty special. He's intense. He'll hold you accountable and he'll push the shit out of you, but he will circle back and hug you and kiss you and, and tell you that he loves you. You know, isn't it interesting, Grant, that I talk to corporate leaders and I talk to coaches about if it's in fact true, and I believe it is true. That love is the most powerful emotion known to humankind. And that as a result of that connection, that kind of connection, when you're dealing with teammates or coworkers, that this idea of, of if I'm that strongly connected, I would run through a brick wall for that person sitting next to me or standing next to me and how powerful that would be. And and that, that is the truth. When you, when you have a team that has that kind of heart connection to each other, that they truly do love each other, they are an extremely powerful unit. Yet, to your point, and so well said, it's still kind of a taboo to a little bit to bring love into this. It's not a place for it. Um, this is not a kumbaya campfire camp. There's <laughs> things that have to be done. And it's just so misunderstood, Grant. It's so misunderstood. And boy, I'm hoping we can change that. I really am. Well, just out of curiosity, and I'm with you on that 100%. And I think there's a lot of coaches that do do it. And there's some coaches yes. that 
I don't think it's not that they don't want to do it. I think it's just, it's, um, it's not comfortable for them. That's right. And when you think about, again, just want to talk a little bit about your brother because who's no longer with us. Yeah. And I know that he's a, you know, hall of fame basketball coach. How much, like when you were coaching basketball and even like in life now, now that you're in the corporate world, how much does, how similar is your coaching styles? Mm, Great question. Boy, I wish I could say it was more like him when I was coaching. Um, I became more like him. So I was an intense coach, Grant. I was a very intense coach. I'll be honest with you. um, Before I learned from my brother, Kevin, winning was what was most important to me. And as a result of that, I was a, had a laser focus on the extrinsic development, the mm-hmm. you know the the skill, the strategy, all that. There wasn't time for this intrinsic development of vulnerability, trust, selflessness, love, um, and all these self self compassion, all these things I talk about today. So, a quick story be a great way to uh, answer the question. Yeah, I coached my daughter about the moment she could dribble a basketball. And I decided right away that I was going to do everything within my power to make sure whatever team she played on, that team was going to be highly successful. So I started started them in fourth grade. I'm going to fast forward. And when she was a junior, we played AAU tournament. We, played, we were very good, Grant. We were a very, very good team. And junior year, the coach at the high school ended up retiring. And I, I was selected as the head coach going into my daughter's senior year. Okay. Now I saw this, I observed this long before this, this time that I became the coach, but we were four games into the season. We won the first four games very handily, very easily. And what I had been observing for a while is I would go in the locker room and there was an, there was a mute emotion to winning a mute emotion. Wow. And I said to myself, as I observed the girls, how very sad that that felt for me, because I was really excited. Boy, I got home that night, Grant, and it just kept eating at me and eating at me. And I said, Patrick, you need to call your brother, Kevin. You need to get him in here. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the work that he does, and I know how he has transformed teams. And I called him right away. He was out the following week and he started working on these things, love, self-compassion, empathy, selflessness. We did it in the classroom. He said to me, Patrick, are you ready to take time away from the court? I almost threw up thinking, oh, my God, (laughs) I got to give up 20. I got to give up an hour of my practice. He goes, and you don't, he goes, don't you dare add it to your practice. So you don't have them for three hours. If you have a two hour practice, it's a two hour practice with this work. Mm. And I said, man, Kev, that's pretty brutal. And he goes, do you want to change it or don't you want to change it? I said, no, I'm ready. So he came out and just let me, you know, I'll fast forward real quick to close this up. This team went from, there was so much joy about everything that they did. And they were playing for a whole different purpose. They were playing for each other. Mm -hmm. They were, they were playing, they were playing to try to get the best out of each other as people and players. They were connected to a joy that had nothing to do with the scoreboard and you know, how, how they 
appreciated each other and what each of them brought to the table from the best player on the team to the 13th. And he did it with intention. They communicated it to each other. And all of a sudden they were connecting at a whole different way because they never got it in the journey they were in. It was always about what's most important is your skill develop and skill development and winning. Mm-hmm. And my eyes were wide open, Grant. And I watched my brother do that work. And I said, man, I'll tell you what, Patrick, you've been doing it all wrong. You're, high, you're highly successful. You've won a ton of games, but you've been doing it all wrong. Wow. And that's what transformed me. So, no, I wasn't, I wasn't like my brother uh, in, in many ways as a coach. And, and he transformed me. with that work on that occasion, big time. And I've been doing that way ever since grant. I've been doing it that way ever since. Yeah. Once you learn when you, when you have the keys to the castle and it's hard to go back when you, you, and it's when something so beautiful and powerful like that. And, And to be honest with you, there was, there was a few moments that when you were talking that, especially with joy, cause I'm, I'm all about joy tapping in my own joy, uh, taking care of my energy so people can actually connect with my energy so they can actually have a little more joy as well. I had the opportunity to work with and this program, Midi High School, and Sue Phillips is probably, I was in the top five um, all-time high school coaches of all time. She's right now maybe like two. Um, wow. She's got 800 and something wins. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Haley Jones at Stanford University. Oh. She so if you watch her play basketball, even now in college, she is full of joy when she's playing. And what's so cool about Sue Phillips is that she has these kids, kind of like what you did with, with club, and has them all the way, you know, and gets them all the way through, you know, college or through high school. Every practice, she makes all of her teammates before they get into any basketball thinking, drills, conditioning, anything. They have to sit in a key for 10 minutes and they all just laugh, make fun of each other. And they just source joy because she's like, I want them to understand that they they can actually tap into their joy because in about 10 minutes, I'm going to get them. I'm going to push the shit out of them. And I also want to know that they, they, but they have the opportunity to know what joy is before they, they get into something they love. So it is beautiful. And and I remember her telling me that I'm like, man, that's a really cool idea. And then I see them like, with the arms, like they're all, you know, sitting down with arms, like, and they're just moving around and laughing and it's on a Wednesday. And I'm like, that's greatness right there. Like, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. It's cool. You know, another, just, this is a great example too, if I may. Uh, So here comes the season grant and believe it or not. So this is three years after my brother's first introducing me to his program. Right. So now I'm fully vested. I'm, I'm implementing this in, every year and here comes the season and i happen to have eight freshmen believe it or not that were the best skilled players in the in the whole school okay and i brought i brought all of them up now they weren't mentally mature enough yet and they weren't physically mature enough yet i knew we were going to have struggles winning any games however they were my most highly skilled players okay So we brought them up. We implemented all of this intrinsic development that we've been speaking about. If you came into my gym 
three quarters of the way of the season where we were 0 and 15. We haven't won yet. Okay. And you had no idea what our record was. And you watched this practice. Afterwards, you would come up to me and say, man, your kids must be having a great season. (laughs) I mean, the way they're getting after it, the way they push each other, the way they treat each other. Man, coach, how did you get that to happen? Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we haven't won yet. Fast forward, we're 0-20, and in the state of Michigan, everybody, everyone makes the state tournament. Okay, but because of our record, we were playing like the number two team in the state. They beat us by 35, 38 points. I go into the locker room, and every kid is bawling their eyes out. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, or ask them, you know, why so emotional? And they said, coach, we don't want this season to be over. We want to go to practice tomorrow. We want to help each other continue to get better. Fast forward to that summer. I never had to call one of them to come to the gym. They couldn't wait to get to the gym for each other. Never had to beg them to do weightlifting. They loved working out with each other. Here comes the next season. They're all sophomores. The biggest turnaround in school history. They won 14 games and made it to the district state final tournament in the districts and lost to a team that had two division one players on it by four points. They were connected to a whole different purpose of what they did. Winning yeah. didn't, winning didn't drive their joy, their, their excitement to work. They, they, they had a whole different understanding. So it was not conditional around the extrinsic outcomes we lose, so what? We're 0 and 5, so what? We still owe it to each other because we love each other to get the best out of each other. We don't measure ourselves on anything to do with the extrinsic outcome. And they bought in. And I'm just, that's just a perfect example of the power of this work, Grant. Yeah, oh, 100%. You know, it's um, it's really interesting. When I was uh, my first year working with Sarah High School, we we lost three, we lost the first three games, uh, maybe the first four, um, but I know the first three. And like, I remember Coach coming in, and it was Coach's meeting <clears throat> on a Sunday, and he goes, "So um, he's like, I know we got some things to work on, but who's ready to go to the championship?" And we were like, "What the? Like, we can't even win, um, <laughs> but we've been known to win, right?" But but he was just like that that's what's that's what i'm thinking and so and we won 10 straight wow and we, and we went to the very first state championship in the school history awesome. so it was pretty because the power i mean it was all of us collectively uh, but we bought into his vision we bought into his energy and it was all about love and and accountability and integrity and all, all the cool things that you know he talked about yeah you know what's interesting about love grant it's like when you have to critique a player and you have to say hard things to them, things that they don't want to hear. Yeah. You know, when they know that you love them, when they know that you really care about who they are as a person, they receive that much differently than a player who has no real strong connection internally with a coach, because then it comes across as you're attacking me. Then it comes across as potentially you're not authentic. Then it comes across as potentially you want this from me so that you can succeed. Not so much what, what's, what, what can I do to help 
you as a player succeed. And so, you know, when coaches talk to me about this drain they feel around having to handle criticism and how personally players take it or how some are very disrespectful or some may even quit. I mean, or that they're so soft and that they, you know, you have to be a therapist to be a coach. I mean, on and on and on. And I, and I share with them, let me tell you something. If your players know you authentically care for them and love them, and it has to be done in actionable ways that when you critique them, when you get on their grill, Trust me, it's going to be received a lot differently. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because we're, we're definitely trading off stories here and we'll definitely get your book. But it, it, it's really cool when you when you talk about that, because when I was actually working with um, with Mitty High School under Sue Phillips, uh, there was a there was a game. It was a Saturday and she um, I believe someone might have just got there late. Um, and she, it just, it flipped, it flipped her switch. And so the moment that everybody got on the on campus, she was writing everyone. I mean, writing uh, to the point where I was like, wow, like she's spending a lot of energy on this. Mm-hmm. And then on the bus ride there, which was probably about an hour, you know, drive on them, on them, on them. When she was, they were getting out of the bus. She was on them, warmups on them, halftime on them. After the game, they won like by a lot on them. And so the following week, that Monday, I had my my session with the team, and it was just the team and I. And I asked them about like how they felt about coach um, and the energy and all that. And it was the most beautiful thing. Here's a 16-year-old leader of the team, female, that goes, you know, um, I didn't really it didn't bother me because like usually when she yells at us like that, it makes us play better. And mm-hmm. I don't think she's yelling at us. I think she's just coaching us. Wow. And I was like, wow. Talk about maturity. I was like, mm-hmm. Whoa. Like I, 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 I stopped her. I'm like, what you just said was, was downright awesome. Like that is huge. That someone could take all of that energy intensity and go like yelling at me or doesn't like me or thinks me less. They're just coaching me because mm-hmm. they get her. Like awesome. they bought into her, right? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely so, awesome. Let's get into your book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell we can just go back and forth on stories, which is, oh, is yeah. why I love having this podcast because <laughs> stories just uh, are, are incredible. They're, they're and, awesome. Yeah. Right. And you can learn so yeah. much from them. Yep. So, you know, with this book, um, Create Forever Teammates, what was what was the motivation? Cause I know what it's like to write a book. It's, it's a daunting task. Um, mm-hmm. but once you get going, it's, it's hard to stop at times. So yeah, what was yeah. the motivation? The motivation came from two things. One was when I started this work, when, when Kevin passed, I had promised him that I would continue uh, his legacy and do his work. What that required of me was more of an investment in actually going out and being with teams, observing what was going on, uh, really having a, 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 a sound understanding outside of my own teams that I coached, you know, what else is going on out there. And I had a real sadness about what I saw, not with all players, not with all teams, but enough that made me very sad with how they were experiencing playing athletics that we have to a certain degree got a, 
we've gotten lost in what we need to bring back into the experience so that there is more joy and there is more connection and there is more selflessness. And I took a step back and I said to myself, Patrick, is there the possibility that you could maybe write a book based on these observations, based on some of the experiments you've tried in the workshops that you do with teams that were extremely effective in building this kind of intrinsic environment? And could it be helpful for teams and coaches and any leaders uh, and, and to a certain degree, players and parents? that there's some basic fundamental principles or tenets. And if you could, if you could attach some practical lessons, maybe, maybe it would be a something that would be of great value and benefit. And that was my motivation. It was the pain I was seeing grant um, by too many players and what we've done to this beautiful thing to a certain degree. And I really do think we need to, I use the word wake up. I think there's some certain things we need to wake up about or we're going to get into a place where I, I feel really sad at potentially losing great young coaches because they don't want to get into the profession, losing athletes because we, we, we didn't pay enough attention that there's, there's a bigger purpose and picture that we have to introduce them to in the learning environment in which they're playing. So it took me three years to do the book and I tossed it in the garbage a few times. I said to myself, who's Patrick Tui? Who knows Patrick Tui? Who's going to care what Patrick Tui has to say? Um, and so there was a lot of mo there were moments when I said, boy, is this really something I can accomplish? But to your point, boy, I had moments where I was so much in the flow, mm. feeling so creative, feeling really focused on what I wanted to accomplish. And it's during those moments that you know, really kept pushing me through. I love the book. I, I really do. I, I think there's more to be said. I think there's there's so much more to be addressed. But and I probably will write another one somewhere down the road. But but I but I liked what I've touched on and what I think would be transformational if we can bring it into the experience. You know, I think with earlier when I was talking about like the variables um, that coaches have to deal with, and there's, there's a lot of them, but the big ones, you know, are social media and parents and um, specialization. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot of stuff that a coach has to deal with. And and there's, like you said, there's young coaches that are like, I don't want to do with that shit. Like I don't, and, and not only that, we live in a different era, a different society where things can be a little bit more sensitive. So, you know, the way that you and I, when we were playing and the way we were coached, you know, it, it was a little bit more aggressive, it was, you know, generally speaking. Yes. So, you know, there's, I, there's some coaches like, I, I can't even like, I can't even say certain things without feeling like I'm going to get, like, lose my job. So I guess when you think about all these different variables that do exist today, when you think about parents, because I deal with parents all the time. Every time that I work with a, an athlete that's that's less than or that's under the age of 18, I always say that I, I get two clients because I have to coach the athlete and the parent yeah, um, in a good way. Like I get to do that. But how do you, and I don't know if this is in the book, 
but how does a coach, um, how does how do they make allies with parents? How do they get them to buy in? So they're not, they're not another opponent that a coach has to deal with. It's like they're, they're actually an extended teammate to the program. Yeah. I think we have to, there's a couple things. One is, and I tell coaches this quite a bit, no matter what the challenge when you're dealing with players or coaches, I'm sorry, players or parents, you have to be where they're at to know what they're experiencing. If you draw conclusions around shifting and changing things based on your prior experience, you may be and probably are heading in the wrong direction to get any kind of shift or understanding. And so they too are dealing in a whole different era and generation of how sports is learned and played too. And so we have to have a we have to have some empathy around that. Okay. As coaches. And then what I've done time and time again is said it's possible to bring the parents in and give them a perspective because because they some may have it, some may not, about the evolution of what it's what's changed in respect to learning how to be an athlete and playing sports when you compare it to prior generations to what we're experiencing now. Mm. And if I could help you understand that in some way. Maybe there's some perspective that you haven't even entertained while you're being very involved in the process that is, that is detrimental or destructive. And then we can talk about it. Let's talk about what those differences are. Let's let me hear about how you're experiencing it and, and why you may agree or disagree when you draw this comparison and become a student of understanding how athletes are truly experiencing it differently than probably many of you in this room. For example, just give you one example. How many of you had a private trainer? How many of, how many of you had parents with their lawn chairs on the, on the open field or the basketball court downtown while you were playing pickup basketball? How many of you had a coach there to correct every mistake that you made? This is what our young athletes are dealing. Now, I'm not here to judge it one way or the other. I'm just saying that the, the requirement to play for many of them means that there's going to be this adult intervention at a very young age. And, and as a result of that, you're bringing your adult perspective which has a whole different meaning of what failure looks like, of what success looks like, of the seriousness of the matter to a very young player who's trying to connect some kind of joy to it so that they want to do more of it. See, in the independent free play, and this is what I try to explain to them, in the independent free play, when we when we gathered our friends and we went and competed and it was fierce competition, it wasn't, it wasn't anything less. But we weren't afraid to fail because we didn't have judgment and measurement and training constantly to correct it. We, we, and sometimes the basketball game turned into a football game or a baseball game or there were some things going on. But what we don't understand, parents, is that that part of the experience was where the joy came from. That's where this spirit of God, that was fun. Guess what? I want to do it again. And I want to do it again. And 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 so. Can, can you can you for a second just tap back into that and remember that when you were playing 
And now let's now let's bring the whole thing forward. Where does your son and daughter get to feel that? Right. Where, where, where do they get to? You know what? This might be hard to hear. But sometimes the joy is it gives me an hour to get away from my parents. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I love going out the door saying, oh, wow, I'm going to be away from my parents for an hour or two. Yeah. I mean, that sounds simple, but but oh, I'm going to can you imagine this? Right. I'm going down the field and it's an attachment to I get to be away from and I love, you know, it's not that they don't love their parents or anything like that I get right. this independence and I'm connecting my independence as I go down to the field. So what's the connection there? It's this joy. Independence is joyful, but I was playing basketball while I was doing it. Exactly. And, and so can you imagine parents? So this to, to, to answer your question, I try to paint a picture for them. And I want to understand where you're coming from and where you're at. What are your fears? You know, one of the things I know this is said often, but one of the things when they're open enough, when they feel safe enough around me and I'll ask them, what are you so afraid of? What are you so afraid of? Yeah. And, uh, and they'll tell me, you know, yeah. they don't want, they don't want their son or daughter to fail. They don't want them to get behind. They, they want to have, a, they want to give them every opportunity to get in a great school with, you know, with a scholarship, you know, they, they uh, don't want them to miss out on what, what their friends are doing. And we have coaches telling us that in sixth grade, they know my son's best sport is basketball. And that's where they better spend their time. And that's so unfortunate because how would you know in sixth grade whether basketball is going to be your best sport? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so 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 trying to relieve them of that fear. Now, now it, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, Grant, about that. Yeah, but but that's how I try to get them to come on board. I'm hearing you. I I I I have empathy and appreciate where you're coming from. But can you can but but can you meet me somewhere in the middle, and, and maybe between the discussion we have, you can see where some of this is harmful, uh, and that we we potentially can change it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're, you're speaking the gospel there. Um, you know, it's there, there's a post and I, I'm going to paraphrase cause I can't remember exactly word for word, but there was a parent that got it. And it was a parent that was, that had, had been questioned why he's spending so much time and money on his kid with sports year round. And he said, I spend all the money and I spend all the time driving and investing in my kid, not so they get a scholarship, not so they can win. He says, I do it so they so they can learn how to fail. And mm -hmm. that's that's where I get. If awesome. you want to ask me why I do this, that when I see them fail or when they when the team loses, how do they actually regroup together and how do they console each other? He goes, you can't, there's not a lot of opportunities in their young, especially to, in today, because a lot of them are tied to a, a device or some kind of game, um, which is good and bad. But he said, but that, that is why I pay all the money. And I was like, again. How awesome is that? Right? How awesome is that? So, right, what the beauty of, of, of playing sports, you know, these, these valuable lessons. And if, if you're tapped into that, like he was, yeah, I mean, it could be, it just can be such where, you know, I know this has been said and I believe it with all my heart. 
And is there, is there a better training ground for life? There, I mean, I'm I, I t- I, <laughs> me too. Me too. But you know, here, here, here's one of the things I say though, right? How about, I don't think too many could argue this point, right? We're going to be in relationships our entire life. And what, you know, your wife, your significant other, your partner, your coworkers, your, I mean, you can go on and on and on. Oh yeah. So what you're telling me, coach Tui, is that I get the gift of being in a relationship from fifth grade to 12th grade, and then on to four years of college before I have to actually, actually succeed in whatever craft I pursue and endeavor that, that I, and it's going to be very important for me to have the skill set and the ability to be in relationships. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you that, that, that is what's going to differentiate you and separate you from so many. So when you think about, even when you sat on the bench from fourth grade to 12th grade, and God bless you, if you stuck to that commitment, when mm-hmm. you never got to get any accolades, when you never got any print in the paper, God bless you, because you're the most committed players there are. It's, it's, those are the players that are making huge sacrifices. But, but trust me, if you're willing to make that investment, and what a beautiful gift. And do you really understand the gratitude that you should feel that you had 12, 13 years of relationship training ground wow. to pre- prepare you for that moment. I mean, how awesome is that? It's it's incredible. And when you think about relationship, you're not only like when you're talking about relationships with, you know, your significant other and friends and coaches, yeah. you're building your relationship with adversity, with fear, with Absolutely. pressure. And you're learning that, that relationship, right? Great point. You Great know, point. and it's, it's huge. Um, yeah, man, man, we can, we can talk for days on this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Great. But you know, if you can, as a coach, again, we talked about the parents, but if you can, as a coach somehow, and this is what I try to work on is if I can really get our players to feel that, yeah. to feel the gratitude of that, to truly understand the significance of it you know, all of a sudden you're playing for this whole different reason. And, um, and that's where the passion comes from. Oh yeah. You know, you're talking about like adversity and, you know, and talking about building that relationship. Um, I had one athlete that will blow your mind. Like, and he was in college, but he said, the reason why I'm good and he was really good. he's like, the reason why I'm good is because I know how to fail better than the next. Mm. I can fail fast and move on faster than the, the, the dude that I'm actually competing against. Beautiful. And I was like, again, I just mind boggling and going, Whoa, where was that when I was playing? Like, I, <laughs> I, know. I know it. And I'll tell you, and I, I know you've made some reference to it to a certain degree, but boy, there's a lot of kids that just don't know how to handle disappointment. Yeah. Failure or tough conversations. And I'm not talking about young kids. I mean, I work with college programs where this, this whole fear of not belonging, there's, there's three basic human needs that we all have. One is that I believe are the most powerful love, appreciation, and belonging or inclusion. Those are the three things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was working with a, a, a college team that, had real problems holding each other accountable to anything, Grant, anything. 
And you know, just simply ask the question, what's that about? And to, to a T, they express the fear of being ostracized, not, not, not being able to be friends with his, their teammates. I mean, these, these are, these are senior, yeah. senior in college kids that, yeah. that are afraid that they're not going to have this sense of belonging. And so they, they just as soon not address it or look the other way. Yeah. That's why I love the, um, the fact that mental health is, um, it's such a top it's, it's at the forefront right now. And and there's so many things that come out and, and make up mental health, but it's allowing athletes to feel okay to talk. It's about to say, Hey, you know what? I'm afraid to make that mistake because I might lose, you know, the trust of my teammates or my parents might get upset or my girlfriend might break up with me. Yeah. And, and as much as that might sound, you know, weird to someone else, but that's real shit. Like, and that's, no and that's, a, and that's a barrier that is, has so much emotional weight yep. that sometimes their identity is so connected to that, that when they do have a bad game or a bad practice or they miss the game winning shot or an air ball, I mean, their world can crumble. And not only in that moment, it's destroyed for 72 hours. No doubt about it, Grant. No doubt about it. You know, coaches will ask me, we we just don't have leaders. You know, this is not the kind of leaders that used to show up, you know, in our programs. You know, we're just really struggling. And and I say to them, again, let's, let's take a step back and be in their shoes. And culturally, now I'm not saying everybody, so, right, so right. There, there's always exceptions. Totally. But I but I will say to you that in general, when you look at generationally, we've gone through a phase of protecting our young children, overprotecting, meaning mm. don't don't let my son or daughter experience failure. That's too emotionally painful. And so I'm gonna protect my daughter or son from that the best that I can, because I don't want their confidence to be harmed in some way or their, their self-esteem. So I'm going to protect them very, very aggressively around preventing failure. Uh, I'm not going to let my son and daughter go talk to that teacher about why question four five and six was answered. No, when I thought it should be yes, or maybe because that's too tough of a conversation for my sixth grader to have to go through. So I'm going to go with them. Okay. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, my mom and dad said, no, you will go talk to the teacher and you will ask them why that answer was no. And I know you're uncomfortable. Well, that's what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And yes, Patrick, you're going to, you're going to go to the playground and you're going to do the things that you don't want to do because you think you're going to fail and that you'll be disappointed because you need to know what disappointment is. You need to know a skill set of dealing with it. So let's let's look at what we're developing or what has been developed. And now you want them to lead. You want them to lead your team. Where, where did they where did where did they acquire the skill set to do that? Right. Along the way. Well, again, this comment by coaches, I mean, I've got to be a therapist today. I don't have any strong leaders. And I'm saying, well, hold on a minute. We contributed to that. Right. We've contributed to that. Now. Maybe there's a lot of other people that don't want to do anything about it, but I've been asked to coach and I take coaching very seriously in my responsibility to mentor and influence young players and young, um, both male and female 
to not only be their best player, but to be their best person. See, I don't ever want to squander that. Yeah. And so I am going to take it up. I want to be their coach and I want to help them shift and I want to help them change and I want to help them grow in that four year period that I have them. And, and guess what? The, the, the habitual responses may be so strong that some of them don't make progress in respect to shifting it. But I tell you what, I want to be able to go to bed at night saying, I know what I got. I know why they struggle. So I know how much it hurts, but by God, they're going to be out in the real world soon. And I need, I need to take this time to teach him some things that are going to be, you know, just wonderful skill sets and tools when they leave there. Why is that my responsibility as a coach? I just want to teach him how to dribble, shoot, pass, tackle, throw the football and win games. When did I, when did, when did I sign up for all this other stuff? But, you know, it's so funny as, and when you think about the game of basketball, you're, you're teaching them how to dribble through life. You're teaching them how to tackle hard situations. You're, you're teaching them how to, to show up and be vulnerable with that shot and show up uh, with their team in a boardroom and like, and ask hard questions. That's what you're teaching. And that's, that's what I got out of like sports. And the fact that like being a quarterback for so many years, someone asked me like, what'd you get out of it? You know, being an athlete. And I said, purely leadership. Yes. I learned how to win and lose and all that stuff, but to be a quarterback and to manage all the moving parts and and to be composed during while you're doing all that, you can throw any kind of corporate issue at me and I got it. I just, you know, and I wasn't perfect at it, but at least I went into it knowing that I got it Mm -hmm. because I I trained for 13 years. That's right. You know? Yeah. So how does, and we can, man, there's so much more about your book. Um, How can my, my listeners buy your book and learn more about you and connect with you? Yeah. So yes, Grant, thanks. Uh, My website is a place to go to. It's elite performance. Tui.com, Elite Performance, one word, T-O-O-E.com. On the website, you can actually order my book. Uh, there's also the availability to contact me and connect with me if you actually wanted me to do some work with your athletic teams. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that. Uh, the book is sold through Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. Actually, if you Google create forever teammates. Uh, you'll be able to pull up a number of different book sources that's, that sell the book and would be able to get access to it that way. Um, so those are, so those are the best ways. I also have a Twitter account and a Facebook account, elite performance Tui uh, is a way to connect, uh, connect with me. So appreciate the opportunity for putting that out there and letting people know how to get in touch. Absolutely. And coach, thank you for sharing like your stories and your mindset. Um, you know, your book is important. It's important today and it's important for coaches, athletes, and parents. Um, so thank you for sharing your energy and your stories today. Thank you, Grant. And let me tell you, I really enjoy talking with you. And I, and I just know where your heart is and how much you love doing what you're doing. And trust me, I, I learned a lot from you today, too. And I love your energy. I love, awesome. it makes me more passionate about what I'm doing. So I really appreciate spending this time with you. Beautiful. Appreciate it.